Hello out there and welcome back to another episode of Politically Entertaining, your cliff notes for the American political system. And if this isn't your first time listening, thank you for coming back. We definitely appreciate your support. And if this is your first time listening, uh, Byron, we'd like uh, to, to introduce ourselves to the new listeners and just tell them what we're all about here at Politically Entertaining. Definitely. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Like you said, if you, if you listened before, thank you for tuning in again. If it's your first time, you know, thank you for checking us out. Basically, uh, long story short, me and Frank, we're just trying to, uh, you know, we try to get all the information we can on politics and news and just break it down in this podcast to where if you're someone that doesn't follow news day to day, this is something that you can come to on a weekly basis. We're going to try to do it each week, and you can come to and get your information. And our goal is just to really have an informed electorate. And uh, without getting into it too much, we just feel like an informed electorate is a powerful electorate, and uh, we just want to educate the masses as best we can. So please spread the word and uh, continue to check us out. Obviously, uh, today, the um, and obviously you may not be listening to this on today when it happened, but we're doing this on Saturday, and in the, in the, both the Nevada and South Carolina primaries have happened. And just talk about the results, Byron. Talk about why they're important. And, and then after that, I have another question, but I want, want you to just go through those two things first. Well, I'll start with uh, what universally has been deemed the more interesting side, the uh, Republican uh, they had the uh, South Carolina primary today. Trump won by a big margin. Um, and the big news in that is he won, and right now Rubio, as we as we record this now, Rubio and Cruz are tied for second place with 21%, excuse me, 22% of the vote now. Uh, and also Governor Bush has uh, dropped out. He has sent word that he would be uh, suspending his campaign. Uh, I assume that Carson will, too, so I'm thinking by tomorrow, no later than Monday. On the Republican side, which started out with 17 candidates, folks, we are now down to possibly four. Well, five. Uh, Governor Kasich, and you got Trump, Rubio, Cruz, and like I say, I expect Carson to drop out as well. So we shall see. And on the Democratic side, they had um, their Nevada caucus, caucus is slightly different from a primary. Um, Hillary Clinton won, and I think it's a big win for her because um, this week it was said that Sanders had closed the gap into a virtual tie. So she needs this win going forward with the South Carolina primary coming up for the Democrats. If she can win that, then that'll be the momentum uh, that many feel like she'll need to go ahead and win the entire thing. So that is the uh, big news tonight. You said you had a question. I do. I mean, and, and here's something that I've not quite understood. I do understand the the pro, I understand the idea of the process to select candidates from from both parties, especially in a year where we don't have an incumbent that's able to run. Uh, so my my main question is what 
where why exactly do they choose the states they choose um you know for each you know for each party and you mentioned there's a caucus is different from a primary what is the difference so that you know if I'm coming to this wondering why certain states are involved in the process of selecting certain candidates and why other states are not how does that how does that even get started well each party they um each party they decide which state will be first and if many folks remember in 2008 um each party they follow the same pattern each uh, election cycle on the um the order of the states and uh at the time i believe it was michigan that tried to move theirs up um and it wound up being like a little controversy because Obama and Clinton at the time were still running tight, and they were trying to move up so they could be more important because usually towards the end, you pretty much know who has the nomination. And each state wants to feel important because, uh, you know, Iowa, they get so much attention every election cycle because they're first. But uh, that's just something that they worked out with each party. As far as uh, the difference between caucuses and primary, basically primary is just pretty much how you go vote for president or senator, um, you know, you go in your booth, you press the button, and um, you cast your vote. With with caucuses, it's it's kind of like think think more like a um, they're usually held in like gyms or things of that nature, and it's pretty much like a group of people, you know, uh, trying to convince. So, say if um, you have a a, uh, a candidate that doesn't have enough support because with a caucus you have to have a certain amount of support to even qualify. So say if you don't have enough support, then the other candidate voters that, that do have that support, so say like a Trump a Trump group and a Rubio group, they would try to go and convince Carson voters, hey, come over here and join us and add to their lead. So it's more like interaction between people in a caucus versus a uh, a primary. Okay, that's very that's very good to know. Very interesting because I think you we just see the term and hear the terms primary and caucus, and you see voting and you hear results, and you just kind of think they're all the same thing, and you you're not necessarily sure which which is which. So that that's really important. Let me let me ask you this question. It doesn't. I, I've seen a few election cycles. Why don't why don't they cycle through every state, or is it, or is it just they've, are, like you said, they've already determined demographically? Okay, these are states that are very important, depending on the party, and that's why the, these states are used. For instance, like I don't remember ever seeing Alabama or Maryland being in in, in any of the primaries or caucuses, or, or you can correct me if I'm wrong. I just don't remember uh, seeing like yeah, they, they, states like they, that. They actually, um, they do, and I, I do. I did want to add one more point to a caucus. Caucus, in my opinion, folks, is not a good way to determine a candidate for the simple fact that a lot of people don't want to do that because it's very time-consuming. So you don't get the same turnout in a caucus that you will in a primary or a general election. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, as far as your question, every state, they, uh, they do have a uh, primary or a caucus. Uh, it's just some states don't get mentioned as much because, like I say, a lot of them are towards the end of the process when a candidate is already pretty much have the uh, nomination locked up, so you probably won't hear it as much. Uh, Alabama and a lot of other states, they're on what you call Super Tuesday. And Super Tuesday, I don't know the exact number of states, but it's like I believe over 10 states that have a uh, primary or caucus that day. 
it's a huge day because um, usually whoever wins Super Tuesday is going to go on and win the nomination. So when you have about 10 to 12 states all competing at once, then you're not going to hear about, you know, an Alabama or Virginia as much as you do like South Carolina because right now, you know, like today there's only South Carolina and Nevada. So all the attention is paid to those two states on Super Tuesday. It's too many states to just um, focus on just the one. So, uh, and I believe, I believe Alabama is the same day as my state, Virginia. So, uh, just folks, that if you're listening, you know, look out for what day your caucus or primary is, and make sure you get out there and vote. Let me ask you this question. Also, here's another thing we talk about: people getting out and voting. I think is very important. Whatever your view is, uh, you know, listening to this or any other type of political spiel, is you should definitely get out there and vote. Uh, but there are people that think, oh, my vote really doesn't count. In these kind of cases, like you mentioned, you said, okay, well, towards the end of the process, nomination's already been locked up. I mean, what if somebody's like, ah, I don't, you know, my vote doesn't really count. Is that true, or, 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 what, or what exactly would you say to somebody who said, oh, I'm not worried about voting on Super Tuesday because it looks like XYZ candidates already got locked up. I'm not worried about it. Well, especially on Super Tuesday, nobody will have it completely locked up. So if okay. your state votes on Super Tuesday, folks, you definitely need to get out there. Now, as far as I'm talking, I mean, I mean states more like uh, that are in April, May, uh, even I believe there are some even in June. Um, <clears throat> by then, a lot of times, you know, a candidate will have the nomination locked up. The difference between Republicans and Democrats, though, Frank, is with Republicans, you know, with each state you win, you get a certain amount of delegates, and then there's a total amount that you need to officially get the nomination. With the Democrats, there's, you also need a certain amount of delegates, but they have what you call super delegates, which are like elected officials and you know, very important people within the party that hold, they personally hold a certain amount of delegates. And as we speak tonight, you know, most of them, if not all of them, are behind Hillary. So, you know, even if, you know, Sanders wins some more states, He's going to have to convince those super delegates to come over and support him because you need those super delegates to get to that um, total total number in order to get the nomination. Now, speaking of politics, you know, like Frank mentioned, we do have the big um, primary and caucus going on today. But something Frank mentioned um, before, I can't remember if you mentioned it on the show, but I know you mentioned it, you know, in conversations. You know, local elections matter too, folks. And, Frank, I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, we mentioned Black Lives Matter last week. And Black Lives Matter folks, they're actually, they're actually upping their, their methods. They're, they're no longer just protesting. We have a handful now that are running for public office. Uh, one in particular, DeRay McKesson, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, he is running for uh, mayor of Baltimore. Now, that's, I know CNN reported on it, like, when he first announced, but me and Frank, we want to try to bring you news that isn't mentioned as much. But um, he's running for mayor of Baltimore, and he actually just met with the president. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how effective uh, Black Lives Matter has been, or do you agree with this method? Do you think politics is the way to go for them? just wanted to get your thoughts on that. 
I mean, that's, that's great that you say, you, do you think politics is the way for them? And, and I've heard a lot of different opinions, uh, you know, about the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, there who obviously, who obviously, you know, some people, uh, you know, have extremely, extremists have said it's a hate group. Some people feel like it, it's a great method. I, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle with it. I feel like it's it's a movement that need, that is necessary. Um, there have been some people, as I said this on, on the last podcast, uh, that, that, have abused it, you know, there, there was an incident in Dartmouth College, which I mentioned, where there was some students that kind of went in and were kind of, you know, did some things, said some things in the library, which is unnecessary. But that's not the point. The point is there's always people that will tarnish um, a, a good movement. But politically, yes, that's the only way to me to do it, because this is, this is the system which we live in. I know there's people that that feel, you know, in, in some cases, well, you know, you got you should, you got to take up arms and do things like that. That's, you know, that's not the way this, the, the system works in America. You, it's all political. Uh, if you go back and you look at Martin Luther King and the things that he did, he, you know, he had marches and he went to Washington, but he had political things, you know, voting rights acts. He had things that were passed politically so that. Um, he was able to, you know, make changes or get, they were changes were able to be able to be made. So I think this is going a step further. As you mentioned, D. Ray McKesson is running for public office. Which which better way to, uh, you know, influence the the um, policies of your state of your city than by being, you know, in charge in a political office? And especially with Baltimore, uh, certainly the Freddie Gray situation, and just and just a number of other things that have happened over the years in Baltimore. Uh, especially with you know police problem, police violence, things like that. Not just not and not just to um, you know b- black people, African American. I think one of the things that people are, are getting confused about is there have been a number of people um, of all races who have been affected by police brutality. I think that the reason our Black Lives Matter movement has gotten a lot of momentum is because these things have been on video, and I think we had talked about that before going back to something we had touched on as far as the Ray Rice and. We talked about the domestic violence. We're going to talk about that a little bit later and recap that a little bit. But I think that all these incidents happening, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, these things being on video have helped fuel the movement of, okay, wow, we've got these things happening on tape, and, and here are these you know, you know, people that should not have lost their lives. They're losing their lives. So I think that it's it, the Black Lives Matter is something everybody can unite under. I think the name sometimes may turn some people off because they'll say, oh, why is it bringing race into it? But it's not really about just about black people. I think that it started that way, but I see it's, it's coming, it's becoming more mainstream now. Uh, and, and now if, if, if people who are part of the movement become in political office, I think you'll see, you know, what it really is about versus people who just think that it's a protest group that gets mad and brings Al Sharpton everywhere um, when, when there's an incident. I don't think, I think people are kind of missing the point. This is a problem that affects all of us. Anytime an innocent man or, you know, woman is, is, is killed or arrested or done wrong by the police, that's a problem for everybody because that means that they can get away with it doing to anybody. And I think that some people think it's not their problem if it doesn't happen to them, but it can happen to you. It can happen to anybody. And so it's something we all need to be to take seriously. So I, I do think, you know, like you said, the movement is moving in the right direction. Meeting with the president is certainly a great way. And then, like you said, Deary McKesson running for public office, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I, th- I think it's very positive. I think that's the way you, you affect change in, in the United States of America. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the criticism. They, they've gotten it from all sides, you know. They've gotten it from people that just completely disagree with them. They've got it from, you know, past uh, protesters uh, for, for African-Americans in the civil rights era. 
you know, that don't agree with some of their tactics. So I think this really will help legitimize them in in some eyes. And then, you know, there will always be people that, you know, just completely don't agree with them. I think the name really turns some people off. And, you know, I just want to tell folks, it's not Black Lives Matter only. They say Black Lives Matter because, you know, when you have a Trayvon Martin who, you know, I know people will say, well, you know, George Zimmerman had his day in court. But if you remember, folks, he wasn't going to even be charged at first. Like that, that the whole reason that he got charged was because of political pressure from people protesting. But they were about to let that young man just get killed and Zimmerman right back at home the very same night. So when you when you have a situation like that where life didn't matter and then you you add on, you know, the Mike Browns and, and whatnot, and you had a lot of people that just felt like, hey, you know, my life doesn't matter. Our lives don't matter. You know, why are we being treated as though black lives don't matter? And that's how you get black lives matter. And I think people get offended by that. But it's not black lives matter only, folks. It's just that, hey, you know, we want our lives to matter as much as anybody else's. And I do want to um, also reveal to the folks, you know, last week I, um, I gave you some Supreme Court names that you may not have heard in the media so I'm going to do my best to try to give you names that you hadn't heard yet, but there are also like three other Black Lives Matter leaders that will be running for political office, office. and that is, uh, I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong, but it's Aislinn Pulley. Um, excuse me, I'm sorry, that's a, that's a complete mistake. I am going to mention her in a second. But uh, State Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal, she will be running for Congress in Missouri. She was one of the protesters. You may have seen her a lot during the whole Ferguson protest. She was very vocal and visible. You have Rashad Turner that's running for Minnesota State House as well. And you also have um, DeRay, as we mentioned. And then you also have Kim Fox that will be running for state attorney in Illinois. She hasn't approved of how the uh, attorney has handled the, uh, the killing of Laquan Cook that we recently saw. A few months ago, Chicago police killed him. Uh, they say he was charging him with a knife. When you watch the video, he was not. So she will be uh, running for that. So, you know, look out for those names. And whether you love them or hate them, you have to admit that that is a different tactic that is worth uh, paying attention to for that group. And I and I apologize again for bringing up Aislinn Pulley, but I just wanted to also I wanted to bring her up to to note some of the opposition to, um, you know, DeRay and some of the other Black Lives Matter people who met with the president this week, Frank. And um, they didn't just meet with the president. They met with, like, him and some of his cabinet members, like Loretta Lynch was there, his uh, chief of staff, and he really legitimized these people. Uh, they talked about, you know, probably possibly changing the use of force for uh, police officers nationwide and a, a list of other things. And uh, the young lady that I mentioned, Ace and Pulley, she was also invited, but she declined to go. And she said, quote, it was nothing more than a sham and a photo op, and I don't want to portray the image of the government pretending to care about police brutality. So, again, you know, it, you know the, the movement, they, they have their detractors from all sides and she, too, is a Black Lives Matter protester, but she did not agree with meeting with the president. So, you know, it just goes to show that with every group, 
with every you know group of people, there is never just this one universal way of thinking. Um, so, Frank, last week we talked about um, the Supreme Court uh, Justice Antonin Scalia. He passed away sure. last week, and um, as you know, immediately the leader of the Senate said we won't be approving any of Obama's picks. Well, they seem to kind of backpedal a little bit on that, Frank. Well, first off, uh, the Democrats are bringing up this quote that uh, Senator McConnell, the, the majority leader, in 2005 when Bush was president, he pretty much made a statement uh, that, you know, the pres- it's the president's job to pick a Supreme Court justice and it's his job alone, and that's what he, he should be allowed to do. And so they're saying, hey, you said this in 2005, fast forward 11 years later, and now you're singing a different tune. And to be fair, folks, Obama, when he was in the Senate in 2006, he filibustered one of President Bush's picks, Justice Alito. So, you know, it's that's that's the frustration of politics. It's, it's a whole lot of back and forth, Frank. So no side is ever completely right. So if you're rooting for Obama to pick someone and you're saying, you know, how can the Republicans, you know, just say they won't hear anybody that he nominates, just remember he he kind of did it to them. So it's always a back and forth with them. But you got members of the party now, especially senators that are in what what we call blue states, and that's pretty much a Democratic state that just happened to elect a uh, Republican senator. You know, they have to be real careful if they're coming up for re-election. So you have a few of them saying that, hey, you know, maybe we should at least wait and see who he picks. So it's, it's it's continuing to be an interesting development on, on Capitol Hill, Frank. I, def- I definitely think it is. You know, one thing that I think people haven't taken, this is just a little bit going off um, topic, but I know some, I know Trump is, is pretty much the biggest name. I mean, he, his, 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 just the things he's done and said. And I think initially there was a thought, okay, this guy, he's not really going to, you know, he's going to peter out, but you mentioned obviously Jeb Bush pulling out and potentially Car- I mean Carson. If he doesn't pull out now, it'll be at some point he doesn't have the the, the war chest of funds. He doesn't have the support. Doesn't seem like, and, and Governor Kasich doesn't seem like he has. Well, I think he's like the candidate everybody would like to probably emerge from even even people who you know from either party or even especially independents would like to emerge. Yeah, I don't think he's going to make it. And so my thing is, how realistically do we have to, I mean, in 2016, this year, I mean, how realistic is that we have to hear, say, President Trump? I mean, it's, I know that seems, I know it seems like, it seems far-fetched, seems like a joke, you know, um, you know, it's almost like the superhero equivalent of Lex Luthor becoming president. You're like, it's not going to happen. But then in the comic books, it actually did happen. And this is all, you know, DC and stuff. And I don't want to go into comics, but I'm just saying that, how? What is the chance that we see President Trump um, in nine months? Well, I'll say this: with each win, it becomes a lot more likely. And I just want to go on record and let the folks know that I predicted that sometime after Super Tuesday, Trump would fizzle out. And my my thinking is he has consistently stayed at between twenty seven and thirty five percent of the Republican electorate. And as more candidates drop out they will consolidate to a candidate that is not Trump. Because if you've looked at surveys and polls, 
Trump has never really been anybody's second choice. You know, his supporters are his supporters. They're like, he's like their first choice. So if you get like a Carson and a Bush to drop out, my thinking is that they will either flock to Kasich if he decides to stay in or Rubio or maybe even Cruz. Um, so I'm going to say right now, as of today, Frank, I still don't quite believe that Trump is going to win it. But, I mean, you can't deny New Hampshire. You can't deny South Carolina. And as he continues to win, <laughs> he can, he's making me a little bit more wrong with each victory. But right now I'm going to stick to my guns and predict that he won't win. But we'll see. I know that's scary to a lot of folks, but. It is the democratic process that we have, and that's why, you know, a theme I hit a lot last show, that's why votes matter. So you can do something about it if he's somebody you don't support. And if he's somebody you do support, I mean, you're riding hot right now. Let me let me ask you this. How much, for, for people that are looking at the other side on, on the, on, from, from the democratic side, how much trouble is Bernie Sanders in after Nevada? Is, is, it, is he do or die? Heading to the next primary, or is, or is he still has some leeway? I, I know you mentioned, I, I know you did touch on it earlier about the super delegates, and I fully don't understand that because I just, I mean, it seems a little bit confusing to me. But that's fine because I'm a little slow. But <laughs> it, ba- it basically, it basically seems like you're saying Bernie Sanders is fighting an uphill battle, and if he doesn't get his footing soon, it's going to be over. Is that a fair point, or is that making it too simple? Well, look, I have a lot of friends that are pro-Sanders, and on a, on a daily basis, they keep telling me, you know, Byron, you need to believe he's going to do it, he's going to do it. What I have consistently said, Frank, is that the math just isn't going to add up. So, yes, he came, you know, within a toenail distance of winning in Iowa, and he blew her out in New Hampshire. But, folks, Vermont, he's a senator of Vermont. He's been a congressman there for 20-plus years. He was a mayor of uh, one of the cities in Vermont. So New Hampshire is in close proximity with with, uh, Vermont. So they knew him, and it was expected for him to win. Now we're getting to the states that's a lot more challenging because Sanders, for whatever reason, he is struggling to get minority support. And Nevada has a lot of uh, Hispanics, and South Carolina has a lot of African Americans, and that's that's where he's struggling. So if he's really going to pull this off, he needed to win a Nevada more importantly, though, he needs to either win South Carolina or close the gap because at one point Hillary was ahead of him by, like, 20 points. So he definitely needs to close that gap. And as we get to more and more diverse states, it's going to become a lot tougher for him to win unless he changes the, the opinion. And that's why I don't – you know, if you're on social media, folks, you may have seen a lot of pictures of, you know, showing Bernie Sanders getting arrested for uh, – you know, protesting, fighting for civil rights. That's because his voters want you to know, hey, he's always been fighting for minorities. Please vote for him. So you, you're definitely going to continue to see that more and more. He met with Al Sharpton after the New Hampshire uh, primary. He also has met with uh, who we mentioned earlier, DeRay McKesson. He met with him as well and some of the other Black Lives Matter. So he's definitely doing his best. And I do think it's admirable for him to go against such a, a huge political machine in the Clintons. He's doing well, but at the end of the day, you know, I made my prediction on the Republican side as far as I don't think Trump will win. I just don't think Sanders will win, folks. 
but don't let that discourage you. If, if you are a Sanders person, prove me wrong. Prove the experts wrong. Go out there and vote for him and do what you can. But uh, I would say that he definitely is in trouble. But, you know, anything can happen. We <laughs> we definitely didn't see, uh, you know, a black president with a, a foreign name beating the Clintons over eight years ago. So anything can happen. Um, speaking of the president, um, I don't know if you heard about this. Well, I'm sure you have, Frank. He has said that he will be going to Cuba next month, which, you know, is a huge deal. And we haven't had a U.S. a sitting U.S. president visit Cuba in 88 years. The last time was 1928. So this is huge because of um, the relationship between our country and Cuba. And um, just just wanted to know if you had any thoughts. Do you think that's a mistake for him to do, or do you think it's a good thing as far as uh, moving towards better relations with Cuba? Uh, do they? Do you think they even deserve? you know, to have a, a better relationship with the United States? That's a loaded question. And, and you know, I, I don't, I'm going to do the whole hot potato thing, and I'm going to pass some of it back to you. I would say that <laughs> without, without, without completely, because, see, like I said, you're you're the guy, and like I said, people out there, you know, definitely respect Byron's knowledge on, on these different issues. But, you know, what's what I'll say about Cuba? Okay, so, you know, I know about Cuban cigars and, and um, you know, I know about I know about you know Fidel Castro when he was you know there in, in power and that kind of thing. And I know that you know there was all kind of embargoes. And the United States didn't you know have all these different sanctions and stuff against Cuba. I'm just trying to figure out what exactly was the benefit of always allowing them, in the, or, or I guess you know after everything had passed and you know the Cuban Missile Crisis and those kind of things have, have gone away. It's like the United States you know, needs as many allies as possible. I know I know that seems very strange to say that in a war where it seems like everybody is you know, I don't know. I just I just think that there's no there's not a reason to not have to not be an ally with somebody just because you just because a long time ago there was there was a beef. Basically it's like kinda of you're mad at somebody because um your parents were mad at them and so it's like you're not cool with your cousins because you're 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 you know, your your brothers you know, your brothers and sisters or your parents, your aunts and uncles aren't cool. There's no need to pass that forward. So my thought is if if Cuba is ready to have a relationship with the United States and they have found common ground where they can benefit each other, which is why all countries have relationships with it, which which would all allies, which, which, which is really what being allies is about. It's like there's some kind of symbiotic relationship between the countries. If we've gotten back to that point, I'd say I'm all for it. Now, you can fill me in with, like I said, the hot potato part is, why? Why was? Why are we? Why? Why was there so many embargoes, sanctions against Cuba? Like, why was it so long lasting? Why is it 2016 and the president hasn't been there? Like you said, in 88 years. Explain to the listeners why it's been such a big deal to to go to Cuba and, and, and exactly maybe some of the benefits of you know being uh, allies with them again. Well, I want to go over two quick points and then I will um, answer that question as best I can. One. Uh, a quick funny story. You mentioned, you know, <laughs> when it comes to Cuba, you know about Cuban cigars, and then you mentioned the uh, the embargo that we had. Funny story, you know, the embargo came into play under the Kennedy administration. <laughs> but listen to this, and I want the listeners to listen to this. This is so, this is so like uh, I don't know what you want to call it, American. So right before Kennedy decided to place the uh, embargo on Cuba in 1962, you know what he did? He ordered himself 
1,200 Cuban cigars just for himself. And once he got the cigars, then he placed the embargo on them. Wow. So I, I just thought that was like that. I know people who would do the exact same thing in that position, like, okay, yeah, we need to block them, but before we do, I really like their cigars. So let me get as many as I can real quick before I do that. So I, I just thought that was, I always thought that was funny. Uh, also, um, I listen, I want the folks to know I listen to a podcast. Uh, it's called The Dan Lebertar Show. It's a sports podcast, but they talk about a whole host of other things. And he told this story, you know, when we first, uh, I believe, Carrie went down there a few months ago and we officially, like, opened up relations with Cuba again. And, you know, a lot of people were happy about that because, you know, like you and many others, like, people feel like, you know, why do we have this beef with Cuba anyway? Let's let's get over it. Let's go down there and visit. You know, they have some, some nice beaches down there, what, what have you. And it was a lot of people that were happy. But, Frank, you know, I try to I try to take pride in, in looking at both sides of every issue. And I, too, was kind of like, you know, that's good. You know, we're beginning to ease relations with Cuba. But Dan Levitard, who is, uh, who is a Cuban-American, he, uh, his folks are from Cuba, they, they, uh, where his mother is. And, you know, for people like her who actually lived in Cuba under Castro, it wasn't it wasn't good news to her because she still remembers, you know, uh, being fondled and, and and raped by some of the prison guards when she would go visit her brother that was in prison. She remembered being mistreated by the military and things of that nature, and those memories are still in her head. And, and to a lot of you know Cuban Americans that are here now, it may not be a good thing for them. So I always try to look at it from both sides on that. I just wanted to share that with the listeners. As to your question. Um, it's it's been a lot of things that have really led to the, the cold relationship between us and Cuba. The three main ones, I would say, is, you know, it's, it's important for people to remember, we supported Castro at one time. Like, we supported him when he overthrew the government and took control in 1959. We supported that. But soon after, it, it went downhill. And I would say the first thing that happened was he um, – he taxed a lot of our products, and he taxed them to the point to where, if I'm not mistaken, it put a, a couple of companies out of business or it made them shrink to a very, very much smaller size. And so we responded by putting trade restrictions on them. So they went to Russia, and that's when we first began to, like, really not talk to Cuba. Okay, fast forward two years after that, and I told you about uh, JFK embargo. Um we, on five separate occasions, have tried to kill uh, Castro. Uh, a lot of people, I'm sure, have heard of Bay of Pigs. If not, you can, you know, look that up. But it was one of our more public failings as far as trying to assassinate a leader. And then we also found out that um, Russia was stockpiling missiles in Cuba, which was like a big deal because, you know, Cuba is, less than 100 miles from, from uh, the United States. And so that was like, I would say the Cuban Missile Crisis was like probably the biggest the biggest thing. And just other little things since then have happened. If you've watched Scarface, you at the beginning of the movie, it mentions how uh, Fidel Castro allowed a lot of Cuban, well, a lot of Cubans fled Castro and came to this country. And what he did to give us like a, a little punch to the gut 
is he released a lot of his criminals that were in prison, a lot of his mentally uh, messed up in the head uh, people, mental health patients. He also released them and sent them here. <laughs> and if you're listening, you and if you wonder why in the world does Byron know all that, well, I'm a, <laughs> I love visiting Miami, and uh, I love it so much that I've even like you know read up on the history of it. And, you know, it brought a lot of crime to that town. Like, if you've ever visited South Beach, Ocean Drive, that was not the place to be at the time. I mean, it was killings and murders and broad daylight, drug dealing, all types of things. So he really turned a lot of cities, you know, in the U.S. into crime-infested neighborhoods. So it's just been that way since. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't agree with Obama going there, but he's going. And it's... I don't know how to tell you other than it's, it's big news. Uh, and just in case somebody tries to correct me, you know, I said he's the first president to go there in 88 years, the first sitting president. I do know Carter, President Carter went there in 2002, and as recently as five years ago, but he, of course, wasn't a sitting president. So. Gotcha. So let's, let's talk about some more. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about some formations. Uh, <laughs> for you. And when I say formation, I ain't talking about you know football. I ain't talking about basketball. I'm talking about oh, formation. the ladies know what you're talking about for sure. <laughs> I'm talking about formation. So interesting topics, you know, have come up. Obviously, you know, Beyonce. For those who don't know, performed in the Super Bowl, and she really here's the crazy part. Before we get into all the uh, the theatrics about her performance and things like that, can we just say that man? Coldplay lost because they came out there and was their show, but really it was just like Beyonce. It was like, oh, Beyonce really, she was there for five minutes and totally eclipsed. Uh, the Coldplay should be the people who were upset because, I mean, I mean, I would, I mean, think about it like this. It's like you're you're out there. They say you're the halftime performance for the Super Bowl, which is watched by, oh my God, I don't even know how many some some. Uh, close to billion, let's just say a billion. I'm probably wrong on that, but I'm saying it's watched by a lot of people. Okay, it costs you know five million dollars advertised for thirty seconds, so a lot of people are watching the Super Bowl. And you have your moment, and you're promoting your new stuff, and then Beyonce comes on just completely just blows away whatever you're doing. And on top of that, she's like, oh yeah, I'm having a world tour. Um, so kudos to her for the second time in in three years, I believe, performing at the on the biggest stage in the world, and then announcing a world tour afterwards that's that's amazing okay so that's 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 i want to just give props there second thing is you know one of the things that you know i wasn't as aware of people were saying oh you know she did all these different homage to different you know black panthers different things like that and you know and, and obviously there is a video to formation where she's dancing on a police car i haven't seen the video because you know i'm a new father so i gonna be watching videos i'm i'll be changing diapers so i'm gonna be real keep it real i don't i hear you know I heard the formation once, and I heard it on the radio the other day, but I don't even know what the video looks like. But basically, people are mad, um, so mad to the point where the Fraternal Order of Police and none other than Miami have decided they don't want to do security when she goes, uh, you know, to do her concert there later this year. So, just Byron, just jump in and just give, give me your opinion on exactly why are people so upset at, Beyonce I mean, other entertainers have exp and knowing that with the backdrop being other entertainers have expressed themselves before politically or socially it's nothing new the entertainers do this why are, why are people's panties in a bunch so to speak over the Beyonce performance well 
let's start with the video. Basically, um, the video is in New Orleans, and I, you know, I, I watched bits and pieces of it. But basically, I guess I guess a lot of people are objecting to her. Um, I, I want to say being on top of a police car, but it's not even in a really disrespectful manner. She's like laying on it, really. Um, and I think they're also objecting to her, I guess, in a sense, drowning the police car. I took it as it was a New Orleans video, you know, Katrina, a lot of things flooded, and just bringing attention to that. And, you know, she also brought attention to the Black Lives Matter. And people are taking, like, uh, there's a clip where they show what's the, word, what's the words painted on it, uh, please stop shooting us. And it has a little kid, like, dancing in front of a line of police officers and things like that. But I just want to be completely clear because I've had this discussion with people, and, I, you know, even with one person who I guess thought that um, I didn't know the lyrics or I hadn't heard the lyrics. I've heard the lyrics. I've read the lyrics. There is nothing in that song that is anti-police. Okay, so nobody has been able to point to me a specific lyric that is anti-police. And as far as the video, I mean, I I want to talk about this without getting in trouble with the missus. But, you know, when I watch a Beyonce video, <laughs> it, it, it's usually pretty much the same thing. She's dancing. She's looking, um, you know, attractive or whatever the case may be. And that's what this video is for a lot of parts. She does have clips, like I say, of the police car and the kid dancing in front of um, the police line. But there's nothing anti police in my opinion in that video but as you mentioned miami has come out tampa has come out against her and even today the new york police department has asked her to explicitly say that she's not anti-police before they i guess uh protect her or you know provide security for her so she definitely <laughs> she definitely had a lot of people upset and you know when i watched her performance at the Super Bowl, I went, it went over my head. I got to be honest. Like, uh, th Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Because some people, some people can't just enjoy a performance for whatever it is. It's like, you know what? I was just like, oh, she coming out dancing in those shoes on the stage, she might fall. That's what my wife said. I was like, oh, yeah, true. But And then, and then you know, then they had the Beyonce hop for a second where she kind of fell back. And, uh, yeah. You know, so there was all that, and you know, I just said, okay, I took it as, you know, um, as a, as a good performance, you know, not necessarily the greatest performance I've ever seen, but certainly good enough. And then coming back right after that, and with the ability to say, hey, pre-sale tickets go on my go on sale in two days, so I captured everybody's attention, and now she's got tickets in a nosebleed seats in the stadium selling for a thousand dollars. Well done. I mean, she doesn't really need the police to protect. She can hire whatever, whoever she wants to do, or security, or, I mean, or she can get whoever she needs to do security because I'm going to tell you like this. It's like with those ticket prices, I mean, she should be able to get Jesus to come down with the angels because, I mean, she is tripping, okay? That's that's what the crime is, these ticket prices. I mean, I, I just, I just want to go on record saying I just thank God that I took my wife to the Miss Car Tour a couple of years ago and I was like, you, you good, right? Because, you know, I was making sure she wasn't trying to, you know, go to another concert because I was like, you know, I ain't, you know, that was that was then, you know. And uh, so I'm just going to leave that there. 
Well, I, um, I, I, as a Christmas gift, uh, I sent my wife to one a few years ago, and she's trying to see Janet Jackson this year. So we're definitely not going to do both because Janet, Janet still ain't cheap either. But uh, just to, to to finish up on that, you know, it wasn't until the next day that I read, you know, all these think pieces, and she was in an X formation, and they were dressed up like Panthers. I'm like, you guys were watching the background dancers because I was. I, I was watching Beyonce, but I mean, pretty um, much. If it wasn't her in the frame or Bruno Mars doing that, doing the hammer, and that was nothing. thing. Bruno Mars killed it. I gotta just give that man props. He, he's another oh, yeah. guy who I'm surprised he didn't come out with a tour because he he um is is pretty popular. You know, he's a good performer. So, like I said, man, I enjoyed the performance. You know, pretty good. You know, like I said it was it was good enough. You know, because I thought I thought started off with Coldplay, who I'm not a huge fan of. I do know the song. Everybody knows the one song. I used they were the to opening the world, act. you know. They were the opening act song. of their own show. Exactly, they were the opening act of their own. They were like <laughs> opening, opening for themselves, but really not. It was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and somebody, like I, said, I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I was just laughing because at the end of the day, I think people are taking themselves a little bit too seriously with the, the, the Beyonce thing. I think there's two things that I, I just want to say in the serious note. I've been kind of joking around. As far as, you know, police officers and things like that and people who are in civic duty, people who are expressing and demonstrating, this has been going on for years. This is what America is all about. America is all about freedom of, you know, speech, freedom of religion, the right to, you know, basically do what we want to do and say we want to say it, you know, to express ourselves. And so, you know, Beyonce, you know, like you said, there's no been no anti-police lyrics. There's been nothing that says to do anything against the police. And so, for these police officers or or these or, or their unions to get up and decide what they're going to do and what they're not going to do, to me is 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 a um, it's 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 a very very bold move because it's basically saying we're not going to protect you. This is almost like the enactment of almost a police state. I don't know if that's the correct term, but it's like the police don't dictate what we do. The police protect and serve they don't tell us what we can say and how we can say it because you know to me that's a very big that's a that's a very it's a very slippery slope thing and it's very interesting you know people are just kind of laughing about it maybe and saying beyonce and this and that but it's like be very careful and see how this plays out not because i don't think all the concerts are going to happen because they will happen trust me um but this is something where we got to be careful that people aren't being censored by the police. You know, this this is this is exactly what you don't want. Whether or not you agree with Beyonce and Black Lives Matter, you know, whether or not you you know you could just listen to country music and you could you know not listen to any you know R and B. But this is very important to understand that you the artist's right to speak out or anybody's right to speak out does not need to be censored by police. It's certainly not like this. I mean, especially when it's not a a non a nonviolent message. It's, it's a message that. You know, is raising awareness about things that happen, but it's very, very to me a very, very serious thing when you have a potential censor, censoring of people's speech and words. That's the beginning of of of, of not living in freedom, not living what you the way you think. You you know you you live in America, you think you can say what you want to say, but until somebody tells you you can't, that's kind of an interesting thing. So I want to see how it's going to play out. Um, again, I don't think that. It's, I think it's going to blow over, in my opinion, sooner or later. But I still think it's a big deal that they even were challenging. They felt comfortable enough to challenge her in this forum like this because, honestly, I think everybody would have probably forgotten about it if people hadn't overanalyzed on the Internet 300,000 times the next day. 
Yeah, um, I think it all died down. Um, it's still fresh in people's minds, and like you say, the, the concert will go on. Um, and I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Kendrick Lamar because his performance at the Grammys it was not subtle. <laughs> you know, like Beyonce's message, it kind of went over my head when I saw it. But um, you know, anybody who saw his performance, it was uh, it was pretty in your face. And uh, the song that he chose to 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 open up with the lyrics in it was um, pretty in your face as well. So that was uh, you know it's 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 something we hadn't seen in a while as far as musical artists you know really using their platform to speak out on uh, social issues. So it's kind of oh depending on your take, it's refreshing or it it's, it, it angers you, but it's definitely being done right now. Definitely. So, you know, we're, we're we're basically almost at the end of time. I know we, we, we rambled on a little bit, but, again, we'd like to thank all those people who have listened to this podcast, supporting us. Certainly, uh, very, very soon you can get this podcast on iTunes. Uh, de- definitely there. Also, you can get it. Go to politicallyentertaining.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter there. Uh, that way you can get updates on everything we're doing and, and obviously uh, get the latest podcast and other articles we post. We're also on Facebook.com. Uh, at politically entertaining. We're also on Twitter at uh, the vocal minority. So that's D A V O C A L minority. I'm not gonna spell minority because I don't want to spell it wrong. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Because it's one of those kind of words you can spell wrong. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so check us out there. Um, and you know, like I said, we're, we're looking forward to coming back and doing some more uh, interesting things as this process plays out as we head to elect the 45th president of the United States. Uh, Byron, uh, go ahead and take us out and share anything else you want to uh, share with uh, listeners. I just want to let the people know we we have some exciting things coming up uh, for you in the next couple of episodes. So uh, please stay tuned for that. We got some uh, hopefully some incredible guests coming. Um, but again, I just want to reiterate, thank you for listening. It means so much to us. The positive feedback we got from last episode, it just really made us feel good. Uh, you know, me and Frank, we have. <laughs> You know, we have day jobs, so this is something that we're doing in our spare time because we love doing it and we really want to educate the people. And finally, Frank, I just, uh, anybody that's listening, uh, I'd like to invite to invite you all to check out uh, The Wind Down. Uh, if you're on Facebook, just put in the search box The Wind Down. Uh, my girl Erica Perkins and uh, Aunt B, they're on there. They give you uh, some, they talk about a whole array of things and you know, it's good to hear things from a, a woman's point of view. Uh, they're pretty funny, and um, they're worth checking out. So check them out as well. And also check us out, as he said, politicallyentertaining.com. You can subscribe. And I uh, just want to thank you again for listening. It means everything to us. All right, we'll see you guys soon on another Politically Entertaining podcast.